Bibles open, I want you to look, if you would, at the 21st verse of the book of, uh, of Exodus, chapter 13. Uh, for an understanding, I am tempted to give you all kinds of statistics concerning the children of Israel and to go over all of the plagues that were actually presented at the time, but I, I feel like I needed to maybe skip a lot of that and get right into the message of where I want to go. I want to talk to you on a subject that I believe will help your Christian life. Uh, maybe you're a new Christian, maybe you aren't a Christian yet, you like to be, you're here this morning because you believe that going to church is a good thing, and I'm glad you're here, but going to church does not make you a Christian. Uh, what makes you a Christian, Christian is really having a relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and so uh, if you have not uh, received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would say that today is the day that you should do that. And then understanding that God allows you then to be able to be walking with him through what we call the wilderness. And we know that the scriptures had led um, Paul through the wilderness, led Jesus to the wilderness. And again, when we're thinking about the wilderness, we would think about the world and uh, look at it as the church moving through the wilderness. And we certainly got a crazy world today. If we were to look at the world as being the wilderness, it's getting wilder all the time. And uh, with all of the woke issues and the false teachings that are being presented, we'd almost think that the demons were in control uh, of the school system and what is being taught. And uh, we then turn to the Lord for help and for grace and this understanding of walking then through or in the wilderness is the idea uh, that I want to share with you. The children of Israel were freed now. They were able to leave Egypt and were able to go about. The word matrix here uh, is the word for womb. And so if it threw you off a little bit, it's talking about the firstborn and helping us understand what it would be like in Canaan as they travel there. We are on our way to the heavenly home, and so we too are traveling through the wilderness, and sometimes uh, we have to let God lead us, and that's what I want to talk to you about. I titled this message, The Cloud of God's Providence, and so uh, understanding what I'm talking about may take more explanation uh, than Scripture. Um, I want you to know that the verse 21 gives us the understanding that the Lord went before them in the wilderness by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the, lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by, of course, day and night. We know that we see here then that there is a cloud that God uses to lead through the wilderness. We see also that there is a fire by night that God uses the fire uh, in the dark times of our life, maybe the trials and the difficulties he still leads us through. And uh, so we are going to have periods of moving forward with the cloud in front of us, but also moving forward with the fire, uh, the trial in front of us, but all to lead us to the promised land. We are all heading to heaven. And like uh, Brother um, Brother Jelenic was saying this morning, he's saying, I hope that Jesus would come soon. He may come before the message is over. 
and uh, he could come at any time. I still really believe that there'll be what they call the rapture of the church, and that is the next event that will happen. Um, and, but I want to focus mainly on this whole idea of God moving us with this cloud, but I want to call the cloud the cloud of his providence. Many of you have heard of John Bunyan. He was an English writer, is a Puritan preacher also, and he's best remembered for his allegorical work, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, was one of the greatest books ever written, and it was actually assigned to uh, those that were taking American literature at one time in our country, uh, British literature. You were, you were actually, part of the literature requirements was to read the Pilgrim's Progress, um, and he became very in, in influential, if you would. But in addition to Progress's work, The Pilgrim's Progress, he also wrote 60 other works. Uh, I've got a little book. I've got the, uh, one volume of, of Bunyan's works. Um, uh, but most of them were just sermons, if you would, that he had uh, written and they're expanded, given us a little bit more of an understanding of John Bunyan's work. The Pilgrim's Progress. He actually titles the main character of that book, he titles him Christian. And he speaks of the slew of despond. Uh, I like the word, well, swamp is better for me to understand a little bit more of what he's saying. But he places the swamp of despond, uh, of despond uh, or depression or discouragement between the Christian's slavery and the Christian's soldiery. And so he gives this idea of going through a time of depression and discouragement and a slew or a swamp that may cause the person to turn back from their journey on to the celestial city. But while in Egypt, the Israelites were slaves, and soon as they escaped from Egypt, they became soldiers. The writer goes on to say that the Christian life is a warfare, and there is no discharge from this war is that we're all in it. Uh, once enlisted, Israel uh, hosts a much uh, march under the banner of the captain of their salvation. And so it is with the sinner saved by grace. He is bound to follow um, uh, the pillar of the truth and whose uh, folds wave uh, in the breeze, breezes of the spirit like the soldier who dies in harness all his armor buckled on him and his power gathered up from the last encounter. The Christian is prepared to fight to the last. And I really believe that if you've been saved for a long period of time, you'd understand that you go through those valleys and those difficulties in the Christian life is a wonderful thing, but we are not exempt from going through hard times. And we do have these difficult uh, paths in which we go. Uh, of course, Pharaoh can follow him, uh, the Christian, to the brink of the river, uh, but no farther because there is this obedience to God that the river then would open up and we would cross over and be able to get in that wonderful land in which we're looking for. But we would do it with an incredible amount of meekness and we would bow to the will of God no matter what the troubles are, that we would see the Lord Jesus Christ before us. And so the trust, uh, I trust that the, the sign uh, that we talk about today, or this cloud, if you would, of God's providence, really is the reality of the Christian journey, and that God leads us. 
And uh, the Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse 9, a man... Uh, a man's heart this, this devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so understanding that God is the one that's directing you and leading you gives you an incredible amount of relief because you don't end up by accident where you are in your life. God is involved with it, and I hope you understand that. There is a song, He Leadeth Me, O blessed thought, O words of heavenly comfort fraught, whate'er I do and whatever I be, still tis God's hand that leadeth me. This was written by an American, Joseph Gilmore. Uh, He lived, of course, in 1834 to 1918. And the song was birthed out of a particular struggle in American history. The hymn was composed in 1862 during the Civil War a time of upheaval in our country, a time of insecurity. The author was preaching at the First Baptist Church in Philadelphia soon um, after his ordination. Dr. Carlton Young, the United Methodist hymnal editor, cites Gilmore's recollection of the hymn's formation this way. He wrote, I set out to give the people an exposition of Psalm 23 which I had given before three or four occasions, but as I opened up the text, this time I did not get any further than the words, He leads me. He leads me beside the still waters became the theme of the song. And as we sing it and are able to be able to learn a little bit more about it, we understand the birth of that song came out of a real dark, difficult time in our country, in our our history of of our of our beautiful United States. Uh, The writer goes on to say, subsequently, uh, upon the initiatives of Gilmore's wife and without the author's knowledge, the text appeared in the Boston newspaper. It was called The Watchman and Reflector. It was December uh, 4th, 1862. The famous gospel composer William Bradbury, he was living between 1816 and 1868, included these words anonymously with with his own tune in his collection uh, called The Golden Censor. That was in 1864. But Bradbury is credited with adding the third line to the famous refrain, or the chorus, if you would, He leadeth me, he leadeth me, by his own hand he leadeth me. His faithful follower I will be, for by his hand he leadeth me. And so a little bit more history on Gilmore Uh, I looked it up, and the author of this great hymn uh, was Joseph H. Gilmore, the son of Joseph Gilmore, the governor of New Hampshire, and he received his education from Phillips Academy from Andover. He also went on to Massachusetts, to Brown University of Providence, Providence, if you would, Rhode Island uh, in 1858, and then the Newton Theological Seminary in 1861, where he taught Hebrew. Uh, an ordained Baptist minister in 1862. Gilmore became a professor after serving the churches in Philadelphia, New Hampshire, and New York. And he was also a professor of English at the University of Rochester from 1868 to 1911. So he was a prolific, educated writer. He was also involved with the newspapers and periodicals. Gilmore also authored three books in his academic field, The Art of Expression, 1876, The Outlines of the English and American Literature in 1905, and also uh, as well as the Book of Poetry 
uh, and he leadeth me, was in that in 1877. And working with his father, or as his father's private secretary during the Civil War, he also edited the Concord, the New Hampshire Daily Monitor. Gilmore provided further information on the historical context. He goes on to say it was the darkest hour of the Civil War, and I did not refer to the fact, that fact, that is, I don't think I did, but it may subconsciously have led me to realize that God's leadership is one of the significant facts in human experience that many people look over, that it makes no difference on how we are led or whether we are led, as long as we are sure that it is God that is leading us and giving us the opportunity and the open door to be able to be a success. Stanza number two, uh, the writer goes on to say, may suggest the heart of the national crisis where, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Gilmore begins, sometimes mid uh, scenes of, of deepest gloom, he uses the term, and also in stanza number three, the poet offers a particular theological interpretation of verse number four, at least 4b, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In doing so, he reflects the concept of complete submission to God uh, will found in many gospel songs, and especially in this one. Lord, I will place my hand in thine, nor ever murmur nor repine. Content whatever I see, tis my God that leads me. In verse number 6 of Psalm 23, uh, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, provides the basis for the final stanza of the hymn, drawing upon the familiar image of the Jordan River cited throughout the scriptures, especially uh, as the place of Jesus' baptism and a place where Jesus often conducted uh, his ministry, especially in Mark chapter number 3 and also Matthew chapter 4. And when my task on earth is done, and when by grace the victory's won, even death's cold wave, I will not flee, since God through Jordan leadeth me. I think it's interesting when we think about that particular song, that be able to, to understand the concept, I think we go back to Exodus chapter 13 and we see that God is actually explaining to them that I am going to lead you, but I'm going to use a cloud to be able to do that. I am going to use fire by night. If we look at verse number 20 again, it says, and they took their journey from Sakoth to, to the camp at Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And so now they are actually bypassing, if you would, the Philistines area because God actually directed them differently. And verse number 17 was going around uh, the Philistine area. And it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them the way. Now, if you, don't, uh, if you underline your Bible, I think it would be good for you to underline that particular portion of Scripture because that's the part that I want to use to help you understand that God is going to help you through what we would call the wilderness of this world. And so how do I walk through the wilderness? And how do I, uh, how do I get to this place called heaven? And how do I respond? Well, 
I think the first decision you need to make is to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, not just to get out of hell, not just to have a home in heaven, but to have a Lord over you that can lead you and help you make really tough decisions and be able to guide you so that you can actually get to the place where he's leading to you safely. I love what Sidney Cox wrote. Many of you have probably heard it before. And maybe I should sing it. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And all I got to do is follow. You ever heard that song before? We could probably sing it together. We should get a bus maybe and travel on the road and sing it for other churches and so on. But it goes like this. My Lord knows the way through the wilderness. And all I have to do is follow. Strength for today in in mine always. And all that I need for tomorrow, my Lord knows the way through the wilderness, and all I have to do is follow. It's one of those songs that are, that are really simple that we could actually remember to be able to get through uh, the life that we're actually experiencing because we have times of confusion, and we have times of cloudiness, and we have times where we can't see very well. And those are the times that we have to stay behind the cloud because we would like to get ahead of it. We'd like to get ahead of God if we're not careful. I like what, what uh, other writers have written. I think uh, the human nature um, has a tendency to, to maybe go through things quickly, to get there fast. Um, we were doing that this morning. Getting to church was a little bit of an interesting task this morning because our dogs were going crazy in the kitchen, and they don't go crazy unless there's a mouse or something. And so I pulled the stove out, and there was a chipmunk behind our stove, and he was chirping. And it's interesting um, that uh, our dogs are, are, are interesting. I, how many of you have ever seen our dogs? Raise your hand. They are really interesting. You have Hoss. Hoss is a Labrador um, and a Labrador and a what, Tam? Huh? A boxer. boxer. So they call him a boxador. So he'll sit on your feet and drool. And I don't like Hoss that much. I put up with him, to be honest with you. He's just a different dog. I don't even know if he knows his gender. Uh, He's odd. Um, and, and he'll look at you as if he's human sometimes. And I'll say, get your eyes off me. <laughs> and then we have Walter, which is a cute dog. I don't mind Walter at all, really, to be honest. He got a haircut last night. Looks like a completely different dog. But between the two, you think they would be able to get this chipmunk this morning. Um, but they couldn't, and so we had a decision to make, either be late from getting coffee and donuts or take care of the chipmunk. The chipmunk is still there. He's hiding behind the stove. I got it wedged in there so he can't get out, and so I'll take care of him. And so coming to church this morning was a late situation, and we're trying to figure out which is the quickest way to go, and how can I get there without speeding? You know, Yeah, and so talk to my wife about this issue pray for me. But I, I, I got here uh, safely, but it was a little difficult. And sometimes we want to hop on the Autobahn in life. We, we, we choose to go quickly when God desires for us to go a little slower. And maybe there was a reason for all of that today, and I don't know. 
But God does. And sometimes when life gives us these little obstacles, we got to remember that we need to be careful not to always think we need to get there quickly, but get there safely. The wise will understand that they must stay behind the cloud of God's providence while moving forward through the life that we have in this wilderness or the wilderness of life. I like what F.B. Meyer wrote, one of my favorite writers. He wrote this. There were two routes to Canaan. The nearest to the land of the Philistines, but to take that would have exposed the Hebrews to the very sites that so dismayed the 12 spies in Numbers chapter 33 where they were fearful because of the giants, the beer-drinking Philistines, I added that, that they might have not uh, been able to fight uh, in advance. And so this would have been too great an ordeal for the young faith and those that were free to be able to go out and worship God. And so God, like the mother eagle, bore them in his wings. He goes on to say that the angel who conducted the march in the cloud chariot led them about. And thus God deals with us still, tempering the winds to the shorn lamb. Patience and faith are still severely tested by the circumstances of the laborious route, but When in the afterwards we understand God's reasons, we are then satisfied. There are many lessons learned on the wilderness route and how often God leads us into what seems to be impossible positions. And in our absolute extremity, there may be room for him to work, but it's all done in his love and his care for us. But in our text this morning, we see the children of Israel have now left Egypt and are boarding on the edge of the wilderness, and they have left uh, Sukkoth, of course, the place of the booths, if you would. They are now commencing the hardships of their journey. And the young converts then has soon encountered a stern realities of the Christian life, And strangely different are they from those anticipated. But in all wanderings, he has the divine guide. I think it's something that every single person in this room, no matter how long you've been saved, and no matter how intelligent you think you are, no matter how extremely talented you are, I want you to understand that God has a divine providential hand upon you. And you cannot change that. You wish that perhaps that you would be able to slow down a little bit, perhaps, or go a different direction. But I'm here to tell you that God has a purpose for everything in your life. I don't know what you're going through, but God does. So I want to give you three things to think about before we go home, if I have not already. Is that, number one, is God's providence leads us through the wilderness of life. And sometimes life is difficult, and I think we have to understand the word providence a little bit better. So let me just explain to you what the word providence means. Uh, I chose 1828 Dictionary by Webster, and this is what he said. The act of providing or preparing future use or application. 
And so maybe to give you a little bit more of an understanding, he said foresight, timely care, particularly active foresight or foresight accompanied with the procurement of what is necessary for future use or with suitable preparation. And how many of the troubles and perplexities of life proceed from the want of God's providence because we did not believe that God was involved with what was going on. He was preparing us for the next task, but we denied his providential hand and made a decision on our own. I thought it was interesting when he goes on to talk about theology in his definition. And in theology, the care and the superintendence which God exercised over his creatures. He talks about theology as far as God's providence. He that acknowledges a creation and denies his providence involves himself in a uh, palpable contradiction. For some power which caused a thing to exist is necessary to continue existence. And so, just like the book of Ephesians tells us that he was the creator of all things, he's also the sustainer of all things. And he is the, he is the molder and the maker of you, and he has prepared you and all of your things that you've gone through was all in preparation for what you are doing today. And so we should not deny the past. We should remember the past and the humble beginnings that we've been through. Webster goes on to say, for the same power which caused a thing to exist is necessary to continue in its existence. And some persons admit a general providence, but deny the particular providence, not considering that the, the general providence consists of particulars. And a belief in divine providence is a source of great consolation to good men. By divine providence is often understood uh, God himself. And so we would actually tie together that God is in complete control of all the events in your life. In fact, I would say this that election has to deal with salvation, and I would say that sanctification um, deals with predestination, and so you would actually use both of those in the right category on different sides, and you can't get it mixed up like MacArthur does, and he gets a little mixed up sometimes, and he doesn't understand it completely, and yes, I did say that. And it's interesting that sometimes we don't understand this, but what we're talking about is that God has called all of us to be saved, and then he has actually predetermined events to happen in our lives to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, and he has been working on you consistently and constantly to bring you into the place where he could use you for his work and for his glory. And so the Israelites were not left to guide themselves in the wanderings of the desert. And you are not either. He is near. And if you're in Christ, you can't get any nearer to Christ. The truth of the matter is that you have been unyielding and unwilling. And again, living by emotion and knowledge is not enough. And your intellect and, and emotion is okay, but God is after your will. And the Israelites were led by a visible guide, and so are you.
but we see Jesus, made a little lower than the angels. Looking unto Jesus, the very author and the finisher of our faith, we look to him. Do you see him? Oh, you would first see him walking on this earth, and then you would see him high and lifted up, and then you would see him ascending back to heaven, and then you would see him coming in the clouds someday. This is Jesus who we look to. Do you see him? It's a good question. The Israelites were led by a competent guide, not only a visible guide, but a faithful guide. The Israelites were led by a trustworthy guide. The Bible says in Psalms 48, 14, you might write write this down because you'll think of it later and say, what was that verse pastor was talking about? Psalm 48, verse 14, for this God is our God forever and ever And he will be our guide even unto death. He will lead you and he will guide you. He is trustworthy. The second thing I want you to think about is the providence of God often leads us through a variety and unspected paths, if you would. Because that's the way he leads us. He is leading us through difficulties and things that may perhaps not make sense, and sometimes God leads us contrary to our expectations. How many in the room have ever had expectations that didn't work out? Raise your hand. Don't you hate when that happens? You know, it's like the songwriter that wrote that God actually sometimes, uh, what is it, uh, he, he, something about unanswered prayers. Anybody remember that, what said? Sometimes God doesn't answer our prayer for our own benefit because he's in charge. And, you know, your expectations, sometimes you set them so high and then it doesn't work out. Let me share with you that God is is ultimately controlling these circumstances and your expectations, that your expectations perhaps aren't exactly what God wanted and what God desired. I remember when I was younger and making some decisions in high school and went to college. I started out at Hiles Anderson College in 1980. I, had, I, I thought, this is great, man. I'm going to Bible college. had my motorcycle. I had my first payment. My aunt had, great aunt had passed away, so I had money coming in to make the next payments. It was wonderful. No, it wasn't. Because I flipped my motorcycle how many have ever been to Poinette, Wisconsin? Remember there used to be a, an A&W there? That's a long time ago. Well, I was, I had a wreck right there, and the guy threw me in the back of a pickup and took me to Divine Savior Hospital, and I ended up with gangrene because I didn't take care of it. My ankle, left foot, uh, I have two less toes on my left foot uh, than you have. And uh, because of skin grafts and everything else, they took skin off here. I got freckles down there that used to be up here. I don't understand that. They perforated the skin and put it down there so it would grow in the granulation tissues. It was 60. It was an incredible process. My expectation was to be well into my freshman year in college, but I was well into St. Mary's Hospital in Milwaukee. And I met some people there that I believe God had for me to talk to about him. And even though my expectations 
were stifled, God's will was done. And to him be the glory. No matter what comes in your life, friend, I want you to know that you need to stay behind that pillar of God's providence. Because he is ultimately in control of things. And you may go through fiery trials at night. Let it illuminate the situation and see where you're really at so that you can understand how to be a better person as you travel through the wilderness until we get to heaven. Because God is working all things for his glory, but he is preparing you. We focus too much upon that mansion. I got a mansion just over the hillside. You hear that song? You ever hear that song? And we think about how, well, God's preparing for me in a mansion. Yes, he is, but he's preparing, preparing you for that mansion. And sometimes God leads us contrary to our expectations. And well, wait a minute, I didn't think it was going to be like this. It can't be like this. Wait a minute, God. No, I need to go to school. I need to learn. I need to understand. No, you need to lay in the hospital and count how many panels are in the ceiling for a little while. You need to watch Phil Donahue. I remember watching him while I was in. That just dates me a little bit more. And maybe it was for the lady that they brought up in the elevator that was around 480 pounds. And we could smell her before she got there. And they took her down the hall because they washed all of the burn patients. And then I heard her walking in the hallway about a week later, and I was so kind to her. And I said, you're going to get better. And her two daughters then came a couple nights later and said, thank you for being nice to our mother. She's going through a really difficult time. Yeah, she was. Or maybe it was because that one fella was burnt from the waist down, and had several burns over his stomach, and then he had some on his face, and he asked for me to be there in my wheelchair as they took skin that was actually from uh, from some kind of sealed compartment. And they pulled the skin out and put it on his face and cut it off so that he could actually not have the nerves exposed, and he could actually, I don't know, I could go on and on and tell you all kinds of stories of that. But I, I have to tell you, though, that, that your expectations are wonderful, and we ought to have good expectations, but sometimes God says, I just want you to let go of your expectations and cleave to me, and I will guide you, and I will give you what you need to be able to accomplish my will and give me glory. I think the second thing I want us to think about underneath the providence of God often leads us through the variety and unexpected path is sometimes God leads us contrary to the dictates of reason. His leading may not make sense to you at that time. Remember when Jesus was watching the feet of the disciples? What I do to you now, you don't. You will know sometime, and you will understand someday what I'm doing for you. And certainly they did. So don't think that you know everything now. God always leads his people into those paths which will yield the most productive and safe discipline for them and for him.
In other words, God is moving all things together for your benefit. He didn't allow these things to happen because he doesn't like you. Get rid of that. Realize that God chastens you and God takes you through difficult times because he loves you. But stay behind the cloud of his providence. Stay behind. The last thing I want you to think about before we have lunch is the providence of God demands our obedience. This is what gets hard because... We have to, we have got to stay behind the cloud. And so many times in life, we're trying to get ahead of God. And maybe you're trying to do that right now. You're saying, but God, wait a minute. This relationship is what I think you want me to have. God is saying, no. No, that relationship can hurt you. Say, well, well, I think this job is what I need to have. I'm kind of cut out for it, God. And this is what you want for me. I know it is. And then God says, no. I hope you understand that God has you in mind if the answer is no. He has his glory in mind. But sometimes we go through life and we're trying to see through the cloud of God's providence and we think, well, if I get a little bit closer up here, I can actually see a different way. And, so, and by the way, sometimes life gets so cloudy like a cloud, you can't see what God is doing on the other side, but he's clearing the path for you. He's... He's actually opening the doors. Just be patient and wait upon God. And in the meantime, let him develop an incredible relationship with you, kind of like what Job had. He already had a relationship with God, but man, he's like, wow, do you know who this God is? He got to know him a whole lot better. I can honestly say that the difficulties that I've been through through life and there was more that happened to me after I come back from the Marine Corps, the different things that have happened, and I can tell you that all of it was for God's glory and for my good. We cannot walk parallel with the cloud. So many times we try to help God out, don't we? Let me get up here and help you, God. I can get up where you're at. I can see a little bit better here, and I'll kind of explain the future for you a little bit, God. He's saying, get behind the cloud. I know what's best. You think, well, if you, if you just let me get up here, I can, you know, I, I remember hunting with my father. My father would like to take me hunting, but stay behind me, Dean. You know, and I'd get going with them, just a little guy, you know, and I'd get up next to him, and he's, get back here. Get back here. You're going to ruin it for us. You know? And sometimes in life, we play God. Well, I'm the spiritual one, so I'm going to make the decisions. Oh, <laughs> Trust God. Stay behind. Stay meek. Stay humble. Don't try to get up there with God because he's, listen, he doesn't need your help. He never has needed your help. We just need to be willing to say, Lord, you're leading me through this wilderness. Life has been difficult for me. I don't have that many things to really talk about other than gloom and doom. That's because you haven't learned yet that God is molding a masterpiece. You are that masterpiece. And he has got an incredible workmanship going on. And so just be patient with him. We cannot lag so far behind that we cannot see the cloud. This will cause us to be constantly rerouting. Have you ever done that in your GPS, rerouting? 
the rerouting. Rerouting. Maybe this is what the trouble was for 40 years in the wilderness with the children of Israel. I don't know. But they kept going around in circles. You know how quickly they could have gotten to where they needed to go? They just would have took the Audubon. God could have actually preserved them from the Philistines. God could have done all of that. But he chose to take them around and chose them that they would actually go through the wilderness 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because God was molding his people to help them to understand. I've got to let God lead. I've got to take my hands off the steering wheel. I've got to say, yes, Lord, yes, have your will and have your way. Uh, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've made decisions, and man, I know that it was the Lord giving me that ability. And I know that there's been times when I made decisions, and I said, well, you blew that one, Dean. You had an opportunity. The thing I want you to know that in that great cloud of pillar of cloud was the hand of God. And he was very near and he was always watching his children. And he's watching you. I like the illustration that was used when Frederick Leach, he was in Cambridge, a decorator but a painter. When he was just a little boy, he was placed in a boarding school where he had to spend his vacations as well as his school days, and his mother desired to see her boy. But the rules of the school said that she could not see him until he was finished. And she therefore hired an upper room in one of the houses overlooking the playground, and here she watched her little boy. He did not know that anyone was looking down upon him, but that I followed him wherever he moved. And I think within the the cloudy canopy of the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God watching you and leading you is enough. He led you this morning to Grace Baptist Church. Why? So that some uneducated preacher could point his finger toward heaven and say, he will take care of you. He's brought you this far. Why don't you trust him? I had the privilege of going down to Stoughton just recently and see a man who lived a loose lifestyle. They asked me to go and see him, see if I could talk to him. He was dying, and I needed to go. So I went stood outside of the door of this tavern on the left side of the door. On the left side of the tavern is a huge door, and it's wooden, and I knocked on it, and it was very, very hard. It was thick. and I knocked on it very hard, and I didn't hear anything, and then finally the door opened, and it was the woman who had asked me to come and see him. And I walked up the steps of that stained, filled carpet, into a smoky, wine, alcohol-smelling apartment with nude pictures on the walls. And I went up next to this man with long blonde hair. He had his shirt unbuttoned. And they were talking to him about what they were going to do. They are going to move him to hospice. And Finally, it was my chance and opportunity to talk to him. And you probably have heard the story, but 
I got real close to him, and I said, have you made your peace with God, Mike? And he said, no, I've never made, I, no one's ever told me how. And so I showed him from the scriptures, and about maybe 45 minutes later, he bowed his head and he accepted Christ as his Savior. He died this last weekend. But like I told the man, he's more alive than we are right now. Not because of him turning, not because of him doing what he did, but because of what Jesus Christ had done 2,000 years ago. And he put his faith and his trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know what I've been telling people lately is that your righteousness has never been good enough. And so you need the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so he will give you his righteousness by faith. So we, we, we cleave to the righteousness that is by faith. So it's not by our good works. It's not going through all kinds of church requirements. It is your trust and your faith, your mindset, completely given to the Lord Jesus Christ that it was his work on Calvary that will save you. You ask him to forgive you of your sin, and then you ask him to come into your life and save you, and he will immediately write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Wow. These feet will never touch hell because of Jesus Christ, because of the story being given to me by some woman named Ursula Clark, who's still alive, by the way. She's Well, I think she's almost 90 now. And she told me the story of Jesus Christ, and I trusted Christ as my Savior. Maybe you need to come to Christ today. I don't know. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I've never trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior. I, I know who he is. but I've never received him. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm confused. I don't know if I'm saved or not, but I need your prayers. Is there anyone like that this morning would say, please pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved. Is there anyone this morning? Lift up your hand and put it back down again. I'm not sure. And praise the Lord. This message was for you, Christian. Maybe you've been getting ahead of God. Then I would say, Lord, please help me. Help me to be humble. Help me not to be so arrogant. Help me to walk with you. But help me to stay behind the cloud of your providence. You are in charge. I'm not. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet? No one looking around. Let's have an invitation. If you need to come this morning, maybe it's for church membership. Maybe it's for baptism. I don't know. But whatever the need is, you can come this morning. Maybe it's just to kneel down at an old-fashioned altar and say, Here I am, Lord. Help me. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.